fifth factor, right livelihood. And what is right livelihood? This is when a disciple of the noble ones, having abandoned dishonest livelihood, keeps his life going with right livelihood. This is called right livelihood. The Buddha, connected discourses. Yeah, I want to say one thing that, that kind of the alternative reading of the, the Eightfold Path, the Eight Noble Truths, what is it? Which one is it? Uh, what we're doing now? Yeah, the Eight Noble, Eightfold Path. Yeah. Um, is that this is the behavior of the Noble Ones, and that really aligns to what Buddha says here. This is when a disciple of the Noble Ones, it's not like anyone. Oh. This is the behavior of the Noble Ones. Uh-huh. Okay. So that kind of, it's, this doesn't come from left field, this idea that these, these things are not prescriptions, but rather observing a certain behavior. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> okay. In, mo in moving along the Eightfold Path, from right action to right livelihood, we switch from a focus on our particular actions to focusing on the general ways in which we live our lives. In general, the things we do repeatedly have much greater consequences than the things we do only once or a few times. The effects may ripple further out into our society and deeper into our, our hearts. We had talked Monday about how this was really important. Kind of like the idea that, that the things that you do more often, was it you, Nelda, who said, talked about that? Things that you do more often are of more consequence. The, I did not, but it sounds like a good truth. <laughs> someone did. Okay, right livelihood is the most common English translation of the Buddhist expression, samajayava. However, because ajaiva means the way one lives, it encompasses more than one's job or occupation. It includes such lifestyle choices as what we buy, consume, use for housing, and rely on for <coughs> financial support. It also includes how we parent, care for our family, mm -hmm. or live in retirement. When walking the Eightfold Path, the question regarding life, right livelihood is whether or not the way we live moves us toward compassion, peace, and freedom. Is it nourishing? Does it support the development of ease and insight? Does it help us become a better, happier person? Does it help others? Behind these questions is the fundamental question that guides us along each step of the Eightfold Path. Is what we are doing causing harm to others or suffering for ourselves? When it is applied to right livelihood, we ask whether the way we live and the way we support ourselves cause harm or suffering. If the answer is yes, then we remind ourselves that this is at cross purposes with a path meant to end suffering and harm. When considering whether our way of life negatively impacts others, we can take into account how we contribute to the aggregate effect of many people, of many other people doing the same activity. If we were the only person driving a car on the roads, for example, the exhaust we produce would have little or no effect on the health of others. 
but when we are one of the five million drivers in the San Francisco Bay Area, we are contributing to the smog-related health problem, both in the Bay Area and the Central Valley where the smog often drifts. Similarly, when millions of people install additional electrical equipment to their homes or carelessly discard their old computers and cell phones, the aggregate effect has repercussions far beyond what we can see in our immediate individual lives. An action that might not be very harmful if only one person does it can become detrimental when many people do it. So what I, I think Peg was referring to when she was talking to me about this was that this isn't about being a better person. So like merit badges, but this is about improving the world. And didn't she say it's about relational, being relational? So like what this is saying, it's you're about your relationship with everybody else in the world. The way we, the reason we do it is for that reason. Yeah. Our, inter, our interdependence. And so if we harm the earth, we're harming others. And if others harm the earth, they're harming us. So just a greater consciousness of how our actions impact us and others and i mentioned in the in our road chant we we have the phrase the formless field of benefaction mm -hmm. it's a field within that this stuff occurs mm. uh, such considerations aren't meant to evoke anxiety and guilt which is exactly you know and i'm i was really surprised monday night i didn't get this. I didn't hear this. It's a different text, I think. That's a joke. Oh, okay. Ah. <laughs> Rather to motivate us. Well, don't you find that every time you read something, it's like a different text? Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> meant to motivate us to find a way to live that increases our ease and peace and benefits our community. Right livelihood is a practice that cultivates greater awareness and responsibility for the world while being less weighed down by remorse, concern that we are causing too much unintended harm or a sense of ethical unease. For many people, the most significant aspect of right livelihood is the work they do. Many people spend more time working than any other activity except perhaps sleeping. Work and other occupations, such as parenting, are often the vehicle through which people have their biggest impact on others. When consider considering whether our work constitutes right livelihood, we can ask whether it harms other people or ourselves. If our work or the way in which we do our work clearly has a negative impact, then we are not walking the eightfold path with our livelihood. Considering our work through the lens of right livelihood can be a meaningful contemplation on what is most important to you. What are the purposes for which we work? What values do we express in our work? What consequences does our work have on the quality of our inner life? What consequences does it have on the world? If we are on the path of liberation, does our work and the way we go about it further us on the path? Another thing we talked about Monday night was how traditionally right livelihood is certain jobs like 
um, not doing liquor, not doing butchering, not doing killing, not making weapons, that kind of thing. And he's not referring to that, but more looking about the effect that our livelihood has on the world. Yeah, I like how uh, the, this uh, expands your idea of what right livelihood is, includes yes. a lot more. And Nelda talked a little about how she thought the profession she was going into would benefit the world and that she would love it for that reason. And then oh, that didn't come. Profession. It, um, I was a practicing attorney. I litigated family law cases and went into it with a passion for the children. And I know uh, that although I technically represented one client or the other, the focus was always on the children. Mm -hmm. But it is, it, it is um, a system that is ripe with um, um, negative elements aspects. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, um, I almost failed ethical conduct in, in law school because my answers, my professor said, were too ethical. I wasn't <laughs> being held under the code of professional responsibility to that highest standard. Wow. And, and so given that the standard is a good one, but not an excellent one, in, in my humble opinion, um, it leaves the door open for lots of misuse and abuse. And so it just came very, came very hard to work in that system and feel good about what I was doing um, just in terms of profession and what I was doing to others and myself. Yeah. So what so, were you doing? Oh, well, I'm retired now. And oh, so isn't, isn't that amazing? I can, do, yeah. I can do whatever I want. I still keep my law license because you never know when it'll come in handy to do some pro bono work or, right. you know, do some simple wills for people or some right. emergency things, but not litigation anymore. It's just too um, cantankerous and um, brings about a lot of negativity. Mm-hmm. My dad was a lawyer and he did a lot of immigration work because he, he had come from Beirut and he could speak Arabic. And then the people yeah. would come and help him. He would help them start their businesses. And then when they wanted to get married, he, they would bring these prospective brides to him and he would approve them. And, so, <laughs> and then when they would come for a divorce, he would talk them out of it. And really? That's wonderful. <laughs> That's what, well, the best thing that I could do, I couldn't talk most people out of a divorce, although a few of them did. But the best thing I would do with my clients was ask them to please make a promise to abstain from getting involved in another relationship for a certain period of time. So the longer the marriage, say someone was married 10 years, I'd ask them to stay away from relationships until they could heal themselves and their children if children were involved for at least a year mm -hmm. and so under 10 years it was a month for every year <laughs> so if you were married two years stay away from some oh, the minimum was six months because so you have to ground you have to clear your mind of all the harm that was done to you and that you've done you know did they obey well, they I don't know if they obeyed since I didn't follow them around. I didn't spy on them, but at least I put it out there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they had a choice. Uh, because joy, ease, and peace are important parts of the Buddhist path. 
The question of right livelihood includes considering whether we enjoy our work. Is the way we live our lifestyle satisfying and meaningful? If it isn't, what can we change to have a great have greater joy, satisfaction, and meaning? Many things help make our livelihood a source of enjoyment and satisfaction. <laughs> Being honest and ethical in work is foundational. There can be no ease if one does not have a clear, clean conscience. Mm -hmm. Doing work that benefits others is helpful, and so is sharing the fruits of our work with others. Living a balanced life and avoiding overworking supports ease and calm. Not being in debt is almost important, is also important for ease of mind. I think another thing we talked about Monday night was that having a certain job doesn't give you a pass that now you've done right livelihood, but your it has to be, you have to do it in such a way. And, and we all know people in our fields, I mean, we were all in helping professions, but people in our field who, who though they had that job, didn't help people. Or, right. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I also, along with that, love that included in this understanding and awareness is sharing the fruits of our work with others. And that means more than just giving all of those who support your practice, your legal office, your dental office, your whatever, even, even your home, um, your children who do their chores or your spouse who carries out the trash or whatever. Sharing the fruit of our work with others is, is so important and, and is one of the uh, areas we can improve in many ways in a capitalist system. <laughs> so here's what my dad did for 20 years after he retired, actually 24 years. Every day he went to this coffee house and he would give free legal advice and business advice. He'd also run a business to anyone who wanted it. Hmm. And he developed incredible friends this oh, way and, and helped all kinds of people. Nice. Yeah. That's that's what I did. My I did probably a third of my practice was pro bono, just because oh. in in divorce situations, there's just never enough left for everybody. So, um, yes. Now, uh, and 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 these last two sentences: living a balanced life and avoiding overworking supports ease and calm. Not being in debt is also important for ease of mind. And those two things, it has been my experience, are sometimes in conflict mm -hmm. in our jobs. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Nobody cares it's how true. many hours you work. <laughs> and it's true. You to do it. <laughs> we talk, and I, I think we talked about that too on Monday night. And I, I know I mentioned, I asked my, my teacher after I started teaching, I said, well, how do you know when you've given enough? Those were my words. And mm. she just watched and said, when it's four o'clock. <laughs> yes. Yes. I wish. It's not always possible to do that. Yeah. You know who's often caught in that trap of avoiding overwork and and having ease and calm and not being in debt is school teachers. There are so many school teachers I know who have to have a second job. They just yeah. they have to to make ends meet. So they work a lot of time outside of school hours too. Right. Right. 
Yeah, my uh, one of my old bosses, she would start offering everybody time and a half, double time, please, 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 we need more people to work late, you know. And uh, I'd always say, I don't want that money. If I'm going to work for you now, I need some time off later. Exactly. Time, you know, and she said, you don't care about the money. You just care about your time. And that it's was invaluable. I, it's needed invaluable. My, I needed my life to be in balance and this constant work schedule wasn't doing it. <laughs> mm -hmm. How we work also has a big effect. Being mindful, engaged, and focused in our work is more satisfying than being distracted and uninspired. This is also true when we enjoy the work for its own sake rather than for the income it will bring. Working with attitudes of generosity and kindness can create a more supportive work environment. And I want to add right there that Norman Fisher's book on the Bodhisattva path, two things that have changed my practice more than anything, although I tended to be a grateful person, but Joyful effort combined with gratitude makes you an energizer bunny. It's just wonderful to approach everything, even when you're fatigued, with joyful effort. It's just such a lovely practice. So. It is, and that's a great attitude to have at work. And I, and I loved work when I was able to have it, and I resented work when I I couldn't find my way to that under the circumstances, you know. Yes. If we are trying to live by the Eightfold Path, the practice of right livelihood is dedicated to living and working in a way that supports the path. This is accomplished by practicing the first four factors of the path in our working life. In particular, this means to practice goodwill, compassion, right speech, and ethical behavior while we work. It also can include working in ways that support the last three practices of the Eightfold Path, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. When we practice the Eightfold Path at work, our tasks can be more energizing, calming, and easeful. This in turn makes it much easier for us when we sit down to meditate. Meditation becomes less about de-stressing and relaxing and more about developing mindfulness and concentration. The result is a great capacity to further, to further fulfill the Eightfold Path at work. Reflections and Practices, Right Livelihood. The primary activities were, oh, week one, what we produce. The primary activities we engage in to sustain our life are what constitute livelihood. These can be grouped into two categories, what we produce and what we consume. Production refers to what we create or engage in that provides us with the financial and material support for our life. Consumption pertains to what we buy and use in order to sustain our life and our lifestyle. This week gives special attention to what you produce. What work or activities do you engage in that provide you with financial and material support? If you are employed, what do you produce? If you are a homemaker, what are you making? 
If you are retired with investments, in what have you invested? If you are a student, are your studies directed toward being able to do something that will provide you with a livelihood? Do you believe this livelihood goal is right livelihood? So I want to share with you, because it is so joyful for me, <laughs> what I do in retirement. I'm very fortunate that, that I have sufficient to meet my needs, basic and otherwise, until whatever day I'm no longer in this body. So I take some of those and I play the stock market with swing trading. Um, I do. And so I find a company I like, my current company I like because I live a vegan lifestyle, except for some cheese that I bought and shouldn't have. Um, So I buy a lot of products like Beyond Beef, Beyond Meat. And so I will buy that stock as at a low, let it sit for a while, comes up to a high, make a few hundred dollars. And then, because I don't really need that money, hadn't planned on it um, to support my life, that becomes part of my donation money. And so it's just this lovely way of playing and not putting myself or anyone else at risk and creating something and supporting a good community and then being able to take what I make and give it to good causes. It is so much fun. It sounds like fun. And I'm kind of surprised that they, maybe they mention it later, but that for retired people, uh, monetary giving becomes, you know, one of your, your outlets for giving to the community for sure. I've never done it that way, but I'm always conscious of the need to be charitable with my money you know I like or with our with our time even volunteering with our time yeah Mm -hmm. I like that we're reading about livelihood because we tend to separate that from spiritual activity Mm -hmm. yeah and and once um well I had to stay for a few hours in a parking lot because I took my grandkids there and one of them went to a birthday party in, in a, a bouncing ball, bouncing mm-hmm. place, you know? Yeah. The other one was asleep in the car seat. <laughs> one in the car seat and stayed in the car. And his mom took um, the kid to the party. Uh-huh. And I, I, it, was, it was in a kind of a semi-industrial area of Philadelphia. And I just spent all my time looking around. And I realized all the benefit that all the infrastructure around me provided mm. was done with any um, altruistic intent. Uh-huh. Everyone was trying to make a buck, the, the, the street, the wires, the buildings. And yet most, you know, that's what I decided that most of the benefit we get from others is unintended. Yeah. <sighs> You're right. They're just trying to make a buck, but in the meantime, they're helping, huh? Right. Right. <laughs> themselves and that they earned a buck and they were able to give it uh-huh. to, yeah. of it to themselves, but they weren't trying to benefit me. Right. Do you think ever the, do you think the people who build the roads ever think about that? No, I don't. I'll have to ask some people like that. I've got a nephew who's becoming a plumber, 
And uh, I mean, plumbing is very important right now. I could use a plumber. Okay, <laughs> okay let's go. But one election, I didn't know who to vote for. So I decided that when I got in line, I would ask the person behind me who he was going to vote for, and I would support whoever that was. Are you kidding? Oh, my. <laughs> I don't make things up. So. <laughs> you do, too. I've heard you make things up. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, I'm going to vote for, it could have been Obama, I don't remember, but I'm going to vote for X. And I said, how come? He said, because then I'll get more overtime. Oh, yeah. Well, oh. It was, it was such a surprise to me because, you know, I was thinking about, oh, the country would be, you, you should vote for whatever would improve the country. But he was absolutely so clear about that. And my, my oh. trainer, who's going to vote, no, who's going to not vote now, she was going to vote for Trump, and now she's going to not her reason for voting is that the platform of the Republicans, or she doesn't like the platform of the Democrats, how it will affect her life. And how, and will, what about the Republican platform? Will it affect her life one way or the other? She likes that better, yeah. Uh -huh. Well, and Kim, on that same note, back on the last presidential election prior to the election, when so many things came out about um, the current president's comments toward women, I called my best friend at the time because I was distraught. And I, because I trusted her and knew she planned to vote for the current president. And I needed to know from someone I trusted and loved how she could vote for a person who had done the things he claimed to have done, especially given that she had been molested in childhood. And it was after that conversation without going through it that I realized that as I look at, at, at voting, the way most people seem to vote is this. There's a, there's a world attitude and a self attitude. There's a, a, a view of abundance, a view of insufficiency. There are all these, they're competing factors. There's, spiritually, there are competing factors within that. And yet, I, like you just said, Kim, with this man, what it comes down to tends to be a singular issue. Mm -hmm that is so loud in their heads that everything else just is erased. So I asked her, please explain to me how you can vote for someone who has done those things to women when that has been the biggest trauma in your life that has impacted every part of your life. And her answer was, he will fix Obamacare and I won't have to pay as much. So whether that was correct or incorrect you know congress is the one who, that fixes right. those legislative things uh, and i and i mentioned that to her but that was the one issue everything else felt by the wayside and that was very enlightening because then i could love my friend and hold her because i knew that that's where she was hurting and it wasn't her lack of sensitivity and other issues. It's just that when we individually are overwhelmed with our own hurt and aren't conscious of, of anyone else's, we tend to vote wrongly sometimes. So, yeah, that was a great lesson. So where are we? I'm uh, sorry. I I, um, 
it might be your turn to read, Nelda. I can't remember. Kim, you, did you just read? I think so. So did you already read this week, give special attention to what you produce? Yeah. Yes. Okay, next paragraph. What is your relationship to what you produce? What attitudes do you have toward your work? Does it inspire you? If so, how? Is it meaningful? If so, how? Does it help you become a better person? Does it benefit others? Can you think of ways you benefit yourself and others through your work that you might be overlooking? What values do you express through the work you do? What values do you wish you better expressed at work? Spend this week reviewing and reflecting on these questions. Discuss them with friends. Write down some of your answers. Please do this repeatedly so that you might begin to discover new perspectives on these questions. Week two, what we consume. What do you consume, use, buy, or spend your time doing in order to both meet your basic needs and sustain your lifestyle? What motivates the choices you make about what you consume? How are you affected by what you consume? What values are you expressing by these choices? What values do you wish were more a part of these choices? Does what you consume make you a better person? Does it benefit others in any direct or indirect way? Please spend the week delving as deeply as you can into these questions. Week three, work and the Eightfold Path. For four days this week, consider how you can practice each of the first four factors of the Eightfold Path. Right view, right intention, right speech, and right action in your livelihood whether it is a job, homemaking, studying, or in retirement. You might reread the chapters on these factors while considering how the teachings relate to your work life. Be sure to have a dialogue with someone about the relationship you see between work and each of these factors. So you might carry your reflections further than if you explored them on your own. Week four, consumption and the eightfold path. For four days this week, consider how you can practice each of the first four factors of the eightfold path in relation to what you consume, use, buy, or how you spend your time. For right view, consider what happens when you look at your consumption through the lens of the four noble truths. For right intention, explore how you might benefit from greater compassion goodwill, and renunciation in your non-work-related activities. For right speech, think about how you can do these activities with kinder and more honest speech. Are your patterns of consumption aligned with right action? Again, please find someone to discuss these reflections with. Hmm. It was lovelier to read it again. Yeah. Yes, thank you all. Yeah, thank you.